And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you for being with us here on the program. We hope that you will stay with us throughout and uh, enjoy the conversation. We're going to try to keep it yeah, light, a little uh, uh, fun of sorts, if you can call uh, what we're going to talk about fun. Uh, because it's something that uh, has been going on, and my guest will attest to this one way or the other, for, I think, some 40 years. Uh, as soon as I got out of high school, did a little uh, three-month stint in uh, junior college, went to vocational school uh, in 19, what was it, 1980? 81, I forget. Anyway, and then all of a sudden, I started hearing some very interesting things that were counter to what I learned in biology. My guest today is Connie McReynolds, and she is here to talk to us not only about this subject, but about her latest work, Solving the ADHD Riddle, The Real Cause and Lasting Solutions to Your Child's Struggle to Learn. And uh, she is a doctor. Uh, uh, She unveils that... uh, she unveils what's holding your child back is the brain's failure to properly process auditory or visual information. We're going to talk about that. And uh, Dr. McReynolds, Connie, thank you so much for being with us here on the program. Oh, Richard, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here today. This is a subject that has perplexed me and I'm not alone. It's perplexed a lot of people Mm -hmm. because The way it was described in the early 80s with the advent, and maybe it was a little earlier, maybe late 70s for all I know, um, it may have been around a lot longer. Uh, This one particular element, this one chemical, I'll call it, called Ritalin, and then there were a bunch of others as well, to help to, quote unquote, normalize our children. I have none, so they're not mine, <laughs> but they have affected my uh, my career, not so much my career, but the, the industry that I'm in, uh, to the extent that there are people who have said, uh, yeah, I have uh, ADHD, um, OCD, and any other number of letters that you want to put together. And in biology, as I mentioned, and this was in high school, and by the way, I had... Uh, Strangely enough, I had uh, four different, three different uh, semester. Uh, in one semester, I moved to three different biology classes. Why they kept moving me, I still don't know, but they were always in the same place, uh, the reproductive uh, system. But it related to what I was going to, what I'm going to share here, and that is that they said that boys and girls are different, <gasps> duh, but in terms of the ability to learn. That boys, their, their brains don't develop as fast. It's just the biology as girls. They're full of uh, um, vinegar and whatever. And uh, just energetic like you wouldn't believe. And uh, that's just the way they were. Yet, when we got into the 80s, they started using this drug to normalize the boys and the girls. To make them all basically the same functionally, if you will. Am I accurate in my remembrance of what was happening 40 years ago? 
Well, I think you do bring up some good points, which is the uh, this concept of ADHD has been around for quite a long time, for decades. And I think there's been some desire to try to understand it um, and how well we've done with that as a society. I think there's still a little bit of debate out there around that, which is really kind of what you're getting at, which is, you know, what really is this? Uh, boys and girls, yes, are different. And yes, they are wired differently uh, for a good reason. You know, we, um, not to get into traditional roles so much, but as the biology, we do know there are differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are similarities as well. Um, you know, neurotransmitters and uh, brain processes, neuronal pathways, which we'll probably get into a little bit of that today. We don't have to go too deep, but maybe to mm-hmm. have an understanding right. of some of it. Uh there are similarities across any human being's brain functioning. So that really also sheds some light and I think has shed more light recently than perhaps where we had been in the past. Yeah. Uh, So I I don't know how you feel. We're going to be able to edit this Richard, but the video keeps locking it. Well, I'm you're fine at my end. And so we'll just continue on for the moment. And if I need to, I can do that. Um, I don't know how, I'm sure you're familiar with this phrase and I don't know how you feel about this phrase. Our children are our future. To me, it seems like a heck of an, a heavy burden to put on a child right now. Uh, uh, Richard, so yes. your, your video was frozen for the last 30 seconds or more. What so about the, what about the audio? I couldn't hear anything. Great. Okay. Um, hmm. So when I stopped talking, you were frozen, and I don't know if you could hear me saying it was frozen. I did hear you, yes. Okay, well, um, lordy, lordy, lordy. Let's uh, let's just go ahead and move forward. If you know, if I need to edit, I will. Okay, because I right. couldn't hear what you were asking me, so I apologize. Okay. All right, we'll start from there. Three, two, one. You've probably heard this term, this phrase before. Um, our children are our future, right? You've heard that phrase. Sure. I personally think it's a heck of a heavy burden to put on a child at, at as a you know as children are concerned. Don't be telling them that. What are you What are you really telling them? What are they supposed to do about with that? You know, uh, let them be kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and this seems to be the problem that I'm kind of aware of. And again, I don't have any children of my own, and maybe for good reason. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> But let me ask you, how you feel about that phrase? I mean, maybe it's true at one level, but it just seems to me like from from 40 years ago to the present, we've been doing anything but letting our children be children. I think there has been quite a shift. Uh, my mom taught second grade for 32 years in the same classroom. And so watching you know that evolution of the time, Obviously, things did change as well back then. And I do think that uh, this concept of children are our future, I think there are so many ways that can be interpreted. It can be interpreted as a heavy burden for children uh, to hear. I think it can be some responsibility of the parents to maybe deal with some of the things that we're seeing, which is really where I kind of come along mm-hmm. uh, in looking at, you know, what is this ADHD thing that we keep talking about and 
the diagnostic criteria for it is so broad now, nearly anyone can qualify practically for the diagnosis of ADHD. And is it really serving a purpose mm-hmm. was my question. So when I really started looking at what this is 15 years ago, uh, I come from a history of rehabilitation psychology and I taught at the university for 25 years in that field. And one of the things that I really um, taught our master's degree students about is a diagnosis is only going to do a fraction of anything. It may get a person to qualify for some insurance. It might get them in the door for services, but it isn't going to tell you much of anything about the person. You have to meet the person. You have to understand what's going on specifically with this person. No two people are alike. And just because 10 people have the same diagnosis, they are not going to be behaving in the same way across all of these people. Everyone's unique. And Mm. so I brought that uh, concept and belief structure into my clinics when I started this and really started looking at these children that were coming in and these traditional interventions. The one you mentioned, uh, behavioral interventions, a lot of this just simply wasn't working. And I was curious, why not? If this is what traditionally is supposed to be going on, what isn't working here? Why is it not working? And is there something else that's really going on? And that was my quest. What else is happening here? Because I do feel like in some regards, yes, children are the future, but they are always the future because it's always the generations coming along behind us that eventually will be our generation and they'll have three or four generations following them as well. So I do think there, yes, that's true, literally, um, figuratively speaking, let's kind of figure out what we need to be doing here to help quantify and qualify what that might look like. And are we doing everything we can uh, or just kind of taking a bypass road somewhere that doesn't really land us where we need to be? It's uh, there's no question. It is a very frustrating conversation to have uh, because uh, most parents do not want to hear that their child has or is diagnosed with or is exhibiting symptoms of and put whatever you want behind that. They want their kid to be perfect. They, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes coming out of the womb, uh, you know, and they got a head and two arms and two legs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and then you get these, these people who come along and they evaluate the child in, in certain circumstances and say, Oh no, your child has this, your child has that. Um, I'll be honest with you from all of the conversations I've had with the, with people on this program talking about um, uh, autism or being on what they say is the spectrum. I'm going, you know what? They're ahead of us because they're living in the moment. They don't get stuck in the past or the future. They're in the here and the now. And boy, would I like to be in the here and the now instead of dealing with these other things. Uh, So they could teach us a lot, but I have to ask you this in regards, for example, I was born and raised uh, I was born legally blind until I was 36, had a lens implant, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge enough to get through grade school and high school with that. And I will call it a label that mm-hmm. I eventually turned into a perceived limitation. It's only a limitation if you allow it to be. Right. But I was also a very energetic I guess you could throw the word in there. I love this word, by the way, precocious <laughs> young man. Um, I probably would have, if I hadn't gotten out of school when I did, I probably would have been diagnosed with one of these 
altered states of uh, learning and uh, what have you. Um, and it's like, oh, now I've got to deal with this and I got to take this pill every day or what have you. It's, I mean, I'm 63 and I'm already taking pills for high blood sugar and high blood pressure and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Where we're talking here, I mean, I want to share with our listeners how what you're talking about is, of course, these aspects of ADHD and and how to uh, and, of course, these diagnoses of such basically are there to, quote, unquote, improve a child's behavior or learning skills. How do you improve a human being's behavior to start with? What what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe where you're um, where you're asking me is really kind of what my take is, I guess, mm-hmm. on this. So as I had mentioned, I'm not real big on diagnostic labels. I never have been in my field. And although, you know, my profession tends to go that direction, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I tend not to uh, for a lot of reasons. And mainly because, you know, I don't think children need to have labels that they know themselves as this, that, or the other. I think there are other ways to describe this, which is what I do when I'm working with parents and parents will call and say, well, do I need to have a diagnosis to come and see you? And I said, no, you don't. You really do not need that at all. I mean, if you do, that's fine, but we're going to come at this from a very different perspective. So what I'm looking at is really peeling back all of these diagnostic labels. It, they, they serve a purpose, but they don't get us too far down the road. Uh, we end up kind of having to work around that sometimes. And I've had children come in with a long list of diagnoses and they still were struggling and the prescriptions weren't helping. Uh, The behavioral interventions hadn't worked. So what's happening here? And so really what I started uncovering about 15 years ago is there is something going on, but not kind of what people are looking at. Mm -hmm. So if we're only chasing after symptoms and trying to get rid of symptoms, I think we miss the big picture. If we think, okay, if I just medicate away this symptom, then everything's going to be okay. Little Harry or Johnny or Sally or Susie or whatever name you want to call your child can sit in a classroom and pay attention. Well, take away the medication, then can they pay attention? It's like, what are we doing? And so that was my question. It's like, what are we doing here? If you take away this medication and this child can't function any differently than they did before they took the medication, then have we really dealt with what's going on or are we just dialing down symptoms so everyone can appear to be okay, you know, in a classroom? So again, my mom taught second grade for 32 years. So she would have 20 or 25 little six and seven year olds in her classroom. I know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I say I grew up in second grade, you know, I, she was there for 32 years. They saw it all. Yeah. And then I taught, you know, at the graduate level and saw a lot of these behaviors. So my goal was really to figure out, let's peel this back. Let's figure out what's going on. And once I um, identified this using a computer-based assessment that we run in 20 minutes, we'll figure this out. And so we can get this in 20 minutes and it's going to tell me what areas are working great for this child's processing and what areas are weak. And if this child has a problem with auditory memory, meaning if I'm talking to this child and this child two minutes later can't remember what I said, 
is that a problem in the classroom and is that a problem at the household? Probably because people are repeating themselves and everyone's getting frustrated and then they start blaming the child for not, quote, paying attention when it isn't necessarily, yes, technically it's an attention problem, but what if it's actually a memory problem and there's something we can do to train the memory so that this child can now remember what's being said and the behaviors go away? Have we just solved the underlying concern and problem and do the behaviors go away? And if the answer is yes, then perhaps we actually got to the root cause of the problem. You know, it's interesting because now we can see in primarily the senior set all of the same symptoms, but are they being labeled as having ADHD? No, they're having a senior moment maybe or or, or whatever. I mean... Mm -hmm. Granted, uh, you know, the brains are developing, you know, in their teens and 20s and 30s, but eventually the brain stops its level of development to to, to a certain degree, I think, from a biological standpoint. I, and yeah, our, our, our cognitive abilities, they do tend to slip a little bit, some more, more than others. And yes, we do have the, uh, you know, the whole dementia and Alzheimer's and those kinds of things. But on the whole, generally speaking, that's sort of the normal process that we go through. We come into this world. We have have these these uh, situations, these challenges, these difficulty learning because of blah blah blah. And then we get into uh, high school and college and so on and so forth. The workforce, we're doing great, having a fantastic, doing just fine, attentive, listening, hearing, and so on and so forth. But then it starts to slip back the other way, almost like. Um, what was that movie with with Brad Pitt where he started out as an old man and went back to the baby? I can't remember. Cumberbatch, something like that. Anyway, uh, so it's like, why aren't why why isn't that happening at the other end? In that respect, you know. Okay, so these these adults, these seniors, oh, they must have ADHD. No, no, it's something else. Uh, our medical co uh, community. I, I, and we're going to get into the solution here. We, we are. I, I, I promise you, folks, we are. Uh, I want to remind you, though, we are talking with Connie McReynolds, Connie McReynolds dot com, C-O-N-N-I-E-M-C-R-E. Let me try that one again. R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S dot com. That's Connie McReynolds. We will be linked to that website. The book is entitled Solving the ADHD Riddle. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to get diagnosed here in just a moment as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Connie, I want to ask you in this regard, and we'll go ahead and jump in here now. Uh, you have a book. It's entitled Solving uh, the ADHD Riddle, the Real Cause and Lasting Solutions to Your Child's Struggle to Learn. I had a struggle to learn, but it had nothing to do with the brain per se, it had to do with the camera that I, I was given or cameras that I was given uh, and so forth. Uh, but by the same token, maybe that contributed to my semi lack of interest in much of anything in school. <laughs> you know, I made it through with an average, slightly below average, but I loved, I have to tell you in high school, I loved algebra. But the teacher made a grand mistake with me, she said, because I was so far ahead in the workbook. She says, you don't need to come into class as long as you keep doing the homework and turning it in. 
<laughs> Should never have done that. Let me be bored in class because eventually I stopped doing the homework and ended up back in the classroom. Um, college English. Didn't think I would like it. Five essays. I've never written an essay in my life. End of the semester. Wow, I wrote five essays. Boy, they were fun. So it's like when you're growing up, you don't have a choice. You're told you have to go to school. But once you get through those first 12 years, it's like, what do I want to do now? I want to go back to school, but I want to take this class and that class and the other class because they interest me. Um, it seems like we've taken, and I don't know if this is part of the solution or not in terms of, because I know we're dealing with this, not just from the institutional aspect of education, the schools, but also from the home life. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as the school is concerned, do you think that maybe helping to shift the child's attitude towards education, going to school and what they're going to do there uh, might might uh, do with a little uh, clean up there in terms of a refocusing. No, you don't have to, but you know what? You know what you're going to know how to do when you get out of school and every day you can come home and tell me what you learned and I'll show you how we can apply that to something in the kitchen or out in the garage or this or that or the other thing. What are, what are your thoughts in that regard? Is that, could that be, a small, small part of, of the uh, solution. Well, I think certainly encouraging children to be curious and learn and grow and develop is what a lot of parents do. Some don't. Some teachers are different than others, of course, as we know. And yes, you know, driving the curiosity of a child is really the critical part of being a great teacher. Mm -hmm. you know, I taught for a number of years and yes, it was adults and a graduate student, but you can be a really boring teacher and they, they don't care what you're saying up front. You have mm -hmm. to find ways to help people connect with the material, connect with why they are there, particularly for the um, more rudimentary kind of courses with, that you might have to take in some programs. You have to take the entry level things or maybe classes you don't really have an interest in. You have to find ways to connect. Um, and then I'm going to wax just a little bit over mm -hmm. to back to those auditory and visual processing challenges. It doesn't matter the age. If these are in play, people are going to have trouble hanging on to what they are trying to learn. And we can help with that. That's what this is about. And just talk a little bit about uh, senior citizens, if we want to go to that label of people, but older folks, um, we know that neuroplasticity in the brain, the brain can continue to learn the entire time we're here. Mm -hmm. We can change the brain. And so everything we do, you know, the programs that you host here, people are learning and growing and expanding. And whenever we're interested in things like back to the classroom, we have an interest in things. Our brain's going to be more engaged mm -hmm. in the process. But if I have something that's interfering with my ability to attend to that, then I'm not going to catch as much as I might if I don't have that interference that's going on in my brain. And so part mm. of what really I think is helpful, and I've worked with adults who've come in. I had a man in his 50s show up in my clinic, and we assessed him, and I found these processing challenges that he was dealing with. And he literally just started weeping, and he just said, you know, this is the first time anyone has been able to tell me why I keep losing these jobs. I knew I couldn't pay attention to what my boss kept telling me and I would forget 
what I was supposed to do and I would lose all these jobs. And, and so we worked with him and changed that up to where he could remember what people are saying. And this just cuts across all ages. I've worked with people as young as three, and I have people in the clinic as in their 90s right now. I have this in a retirement center. So we're working with folks who want to hang on to what they have. They don't want to lose what they they have. They want to be vibrant, contributing people and, you know, go places, do things, learn things. And they want their brain tuned up to be able to handle whatever that is. I've done mm. You know, I've done six week cognitive training programs and uh, with seniors to really enhance that. We don't have to just let things go. We can continue to strengthen. And those people who maintain an active perspective on life, who certainly are out and about, who probably don't watch too much, you know, of the evening or daytime uh, television programs that don't do a whole lot to kind of move our brain in a healthy direction. Mm -hmm. I'll just say it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a lot out there that doesn't really um, enhance us a whole lot, doesn't right. contribute to our general well-being. And so I think all of those things come together. And the more we can really look at the whole package of our life and what we're doing, uh, there are ways to continue our sharp functioning and, and doing the things we want to do. And I say, why not? If we can do this and continue with this and strengthen, and if we have areas, it's like any muscle. There are areas in the brain that are stronger than others. And when we find those areas that could be strengthened, our program actually does that. And the beauty of it is once the brain's trained in those areas, rewired, if you will, or strengthened, however we want to describe it, it tends to hold. Because it's like any muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And the stronger it gets, the more you use it. And so it just becomes one of those things where, you know, you don't need to keep coming back for this in my clinics. We tackle it and you go on and you're doing well. Now, someone mm. who might be struggling with some early onset dementia, it might take a while to deal with this. We have some children who are on the spectrum, maybe are nonverbal or have very limited verbal abilities, and that could take some time. Mm -hmm. But we have seen progress with being able to strengthen those particular weakened areas in the brain. Why they're weakened, we don't really know. But what right. we can do is help strengthen. And I wonder, and this is a sidebar on this, what damage has been done by, and I'm going to put it this way, drugging our children 40 years ago mm. uh, has done to their brains. Uh, you know, mm. obviously, that's the reason they were given the drugs in the first place, to to normalize the brain, to... Uh, what have you. And uh, I, I just, I have to wonder, and I'm sure there haven't been any studies yet, as far as I know, uh, that have tracked uh, the adult lives of these children who were put on Ritalin and other similar drugs and so forth. And that's, it's really uh, unfortunate. And it seems to me also in, in going into, um, I'm going to stop right there and I'm just going to say, well, have you uh, respond to what I just said? Okay. Well, I don't know of actual long-term longitudinal studies like what you're referencing. They could be out there. Uh, it might be, you know, I might do a search on that someday to see if we do have that. We do have research, and I've uh, actually mentioned some of it in my book, about some of the side effects of some of these medications. And it can be physical limitations. We can have a height suppression, uh, bone density difficulties. There. are um, 
is some suggestion. There's a lot of debate on this because uh, there are there are companies out there that really don't want to um, uh, talk about this particular thing about whether in some of these cases this medicate these some of these medications may cause uh, other use of other medications or drugs later on it's like is this a gateway there's been some <laughs> um, uh -huh. you know there's there's been some discussion about it uh there are also articles and research um that has come out that says that isn't the case but i will say to everyone at any time i will say this you need to know who's funded the research and so you have to look at the money where's the money mm -hmm. uh, on any research that's being published on any hot topic like this uh, is there a funding source? And I will dig even so deep as to find out, you know, who the reviewers are of manuscripts and you know, what boards do they set on? Because I have found there is some, <laughs> some. Uh, I don't think they necessarily would call it conflict of interest, but I would think they may have an interest in some other things and some other mm -hmm. aspects of some of these stories that come out. Yeah. I think in today's world, we really have to be um, cautious about the claims that are made about certain kinds of drugs that are out there we have to do our own research and we have to figure out how to do that it's like how do we dig into this how do we figure out is this truly a clean research report uh project that's been done who did the funding and there was a time when i found there were people taking a stance against certain interventions that were considered alternative because they actually sat on the boards of pharmaceutical companies. And so I felt like, is this really an honest representation then? Uh, and I, I really, that was probably 10 years ago, I started looking at that and just uh, picking up on some of these threads that sometimes, you know, there are these influences that are not readily apparent. And I think we all have to pay attention to that in today's world. Maybe have, even more than we ever did before. And I have to wonder, too, if those outside influences, and we could go down a laundry list of them, uh, are not having an impact. Uh, one of the things that, you know, talk about, uh, again, that phrase, uh, our children are our future. And I have to wonder of those people who like to quote that phrase, if they really believe that, because nothing is being done, as far as I know, though we haven't had any recent ones, and I hope I'm not um, uh, adding fuel to that fire by putting out this, uh, this statement that, uh, you know, we haven't, thank goodness in recent days or weeks, I guess, had any school shootings, but there's an issue right there. It's like, so our children are our future. What are you doing to make them feel safe in these, these educational institutions, if you will? Um, you know, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't understand how people can turn a blind and i'm not saying i have the solution i'm not saying gun control and i'm not saying mental health i'm saying both uh, but i'm what i am saying is that there are so many distractions if you will for a child today i mean uh, i i feel for the children of today because of the childhood i was lucky enough to grow up in i mean my god we had the run of the neighborhood we didn't have we never even thought of let alone knew the word pedophile uh or being abducted and and uh, 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 taken into sex trafficking and all those kinds of things and i mean and and we played until the sun went down and sometimes a little beyond and we literally did have the run of the block and we were we were a gang, but we were a gang having fun. You know, my dad, 
My dad belonged to a group of kids in school. He shared this in an interview that I did with he and my mother uh, back in 2015. He says, oh, yeah, I was a part of a, a gang of guys uh, in school. We called ourselves the happy gang. I said, well, well, why did you call yourselves the happy gang? He says, because we were always happy. You know, and he grew up obviously before in school in the in the 40s. He was born in 31, so late 30s, early 40s. Uh, but I could have been a member of that gang, too, because I grew up aside from the bullying, which yeah, was what it was. I still had a great time. I had fun. And again, as I described before, bicycling all over the neighborhood and sometimes a little beyond what the mother and father would want us to do. But still. It's like, man, I that was so much fun. Mm -hmm. That was such a great time. And yet kids today have no clue because they don't feel safe or they're not made to feel safe. And then we have the social media. Mm -hmm. you know, And I'm wondering, too, how that has played a role, not just social media, but our electronics, our, as the term has become coined, our screens mm -hmm. and how they have taken taken up so much of our time and our energy. Uh, has has that contributed to or has that sh maybe shed some light on this myth, if you will, that you've uncovered? And I, I don't want to call it that at this point because you've come up with the solutions um, that this this thing, ADHD and whatever else you want to call it. This is not an aberration, correct? This is not an aberration. Uh, this is just the way some kids are, right? But it's well, not, it's not insurmountable. There, right. I think there are multiple layers uh, within all of that. So the screen time piece is a huge factor in today's uh, childhood upbringing because you'll see babies holding a cell phone somewhere. And, and the research shows for that children should not be entertained by uh, two-dimensional units when they're in these formative years up to you know, certainly age two, they should not be engaging in anything with screen time. Mm -hmm. And so that's out there. And then we have children who get addicted to video games. And I mean, seriously addicted. I've treated uh, children whose parents bring them in and they are dealing with an actual addiction. And I used to work in an addiction chemical treatment center for the VA. So, you know, I come from understanding what that is and how the brain gets hooked on different kinds of things. So we have that going on as well. And then, you know, when we wax into really kind of discussing what's really going on with these children, the ADHD label gets bantered around an awful lot. These are just children. Some of them don't have anything going on other than they're just a little child. Other times it gets back to this auditory and visual. I just can't stress this enough. If children have these processing problems, this interferes with their ability to have a quality life. They cannot produce what they are capable of doing and has nothing to do with intelligence. And so many times these children get channeled into programs that are great programs like special education. Mm -hmm. They get channeled in there, but if they don't belong there because they don't really have that and they've been misdiagnosed or misclassified, then they may not be getting the educational challenges that they need. Pardon me. <clears throat> For example, we had a parent call me kind of early on in my program. I knew him, he knew me and his son uh, was in trouble, his teenage son. So his teenage son had been in special education his entire academic career. He was in high school now. 
and he was sitting in the library one day, the afternoon, and was so bored, he decided he was just going to hack into the school's database system. And he did and was expelled. <laughs> and that was really the first time that anyone started questioning, you know, how bright is this child? And had he just been misdirected? And so I did this assessment with him and we found out that he had some auditory and visual processing problems that were interfering with his ability to demonstrate his intellectual capabilities. And once we tackled that using the neurofeedback, did about 20 hours of brain training with him, he had obviously was expelled from that school, was in another school the next year. His dad called one day and said that his son, same son, had just scored the highest mathematical score in the school's history. And here this young man had been in special education from day one. Mm. And part of it was because he just couldn't remember what people were telling him to do or he couldn't follow through. And so they just assumed he was inattentive or he couldn't learn or they assumed he had some type of a limitation in some other manner. He didn't have any of that. He had processing problems that when we found it, corrected it, and he went on and he went to college and he's doing well. Mm. We got rid of all of that. And he later did a presentation with me at a mental health um, function where he said to the people in attendance, he said, if it hadn't been for this program and neurofeedback, he knows he would have either hurt himself or someone else because he was an angry young man. He couldn't demonstrate what he knew was his capability and that was diminishing his self-worth and his identity. And by helping him claim who he really is, he was able to turn that around and live well following that. I want to ask you about um, one, um, I'll call it a diagnosis, that I th I don't know if this applies or not, dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Because that is a processing issue, is it not? Mm -hmm. Okay. It is. And we have a lot of children who come in with that diagnosis. And what, again, we run our assessment, whatever the label might be that they're coming in with, we run our assessment. And in many cases, what's actually going on is this child has, yes, visual processing problems, which is what dyslexia is. So dyslexia is that you know, diagnostic label that gets bantered around and then we call someone, oh, you have dyslexia. It's like, what do we do about it? Well, we don't really know. Well, so they come in, we run this assessment, we figure out of this 37 areas of auditory and visual processing, this child is, is low in a majority of the visual processing skills that are required to be able to succeed, to be able to write, read, learn, whatever. Now, I will qualify this just shortly because I don't want everyone thinking, oh, everybody's got this. Children, as they're going through primary grade, often will flip some letters around as they're learning. Their B's and their D's are confusing. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. It's confusing for children to figure out what that is. So they have to practice and learn that. So just because a child's flipping a few letters here and there doesn't necessarily mean they have a label of dyslexia. If it's continuing, they're not able to move beyond that. And regardless of how much training goes on and they're not remembering or they're not learning, they can't retain, it could be something called visual processing problems. So when we find that, we might be able to do something for that child. Hmm. Uh, I would also say that uh, the letter I and the number one 
can also <laughs> create a hell of a challenge. And I have problems sometimes with that. And what makes it even worse is when you are asked in this day and age with the screens and everything to type in a particular code that's both <laughs> letters and numbers. I remember uh, it had to do with uh, my car and they asked me for the VIN number. And so I gave them it. Well, nothing's coming up. I repeated it again and again and again. And I thought, okay, well, hang on a second. Let me look at this. Hold on. Let me, let me really screw. Okay. I don't think that's an, O. I think that's a zero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, we need to find a better way of, of differentiating between these characters for the rest of us. Um, but I, uh, I've, I've heard it said, and you've already alluded to this in the program, uh, uh, Connie McReynolds, who is my guest. ConnieMcReynolds.com is uh, the website that we want you to go to. Please do that as soon as you can. Solving the ADH riddle. ADHD, sorry, left out a letter. I don't know what that's a symptom of, but uh, don't tell me because I don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> let me, uh, I forget now where I was going to go with this, but uh, we're talking about this, this whole process of learning. Do you think that if we were to get away from, and I know that I think we're starting to, and I don't know how closely you follow our educational systems these days, because I'm sure your mom's since retired and then some getting away from rote memorization and getting into the the practical aspects of because i've and i've i've made this statement on this program a number of times when it comes to cutting the budget in schools i say cut the basics keep the electives like band and and pe and and so on and so forth because if it's taught right let's say in music you will learn about english and math and science and geography, and history. Uh, take the flute. Who in the heck came up with the first flute? A little history, all right? What's it made of? Chemistry. Uh, what about the notes, uh, uh, you know, and so forth? Now you're learning a little, of course, music theory and so forth, uh, and whole notes, half notes, quarter notes, eighth notes, et cetera, et cetera. Syncopation, your math, and probably a little... Uh, geometry when it comes to the designing of the flute and as i'm sure if we dug deeper we could go even further into other educational uh, aspects you know get rid of math and science and reading because guess what you're going to get it like like i say in the music courses what about that it, are we are we starting to move away from rote memorization because it's been proven that it doesn't work well i think you know you've mentioned some really important points there the budget cuts that have hit a lot of the educational systems that certainly has had an impact and they have tended to cut out the arts, the music, uh, these other areas. And we know that the brain needs those programs to be well-rounded. We know that music, we know that art, the creativity aspect of the developing part of the brain, that's, you know, the right side of the brain. We want that part to be as equally developed as any other, as the other side, which is our logical, rational, <laughs> you know, part of our brain, we need all of our brain to be well developed. And I think those discussions would be really great to start seeing come back mm -hmm. into, you know, what is the focus? 
if we look at some of the different school systems that are out there, public schools, private, charter, Montessori, you know, there are a lot of different approaches to teaching children. And there are some that just have greater flexibility in them than others. Mm -hmm. And I think the ones that do seem to have more flexibility seem to be able to um, incorporate a greater diversity of children. And I don't mean necessarily cultural, ethnic or whatever, mm -hmm. but I mean just the interest of right. children. It's like if we can, again, get back to that conversation about what's interesting this child. You know, there are different school systems out there that are proven to be very functional and not having just such a rigid kind of approach. And I think maybe that's what you're uh, leaning toward when you're talking about the rote memory and just kind of mm -hmm. that rigidity of teaching something. And it's just kind of a dull, boring approach, perhaps. Uh, but I think a more creative teacher can take whatever that is that a child needs to learn and create an environment of learning. And that's really where teachers are strong. Yeah. If you have good teachers. It kind of doesn't matter what the subject matter is, because if this is a good teacher, they're going to be able to deliver this and keep these children engaged and active and learning and growing and developing. So I think, I think the thing that gets lost so many times is, are we really paying attention to what our teachers need? Yeah. Or have we gone so far that teachers are so strapped in some of these systems that they can't bring creativity into helping children engage yeah. in learning, in active learning? Yeah. On on top of the fact that even when the budgets are cut, somehow the teachers come up with the money from their own pockets or from other sources to be able to provide the kids with what they need to help them to learn. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not advocating that we turn all of our schools into let's all go out and sit under a tree and talk. That's not what I'm talking about. Because, but at the same time, I realize too that the memory is an important an important uh, feature in the human brain. I get that. Uh, I want to ask you also about this whole aspect of, uh, and I'm not sure if this is the right term to use in conversing with you on this, um, rewiring the brain or altering, if you will, uh, what's referred to as the neural net, as we have come to coin that phrase, specifically from my perspective from Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> OK, uh, there's there's my education right there. OK, that's all I can tell you. Oh, good uh, programs. But, what's that now? Those were good programs. Oh, they still are. As a matter of fact, I often go back and I will start from episode one and I will watch all the way through for the uh, over the course of, I don't know, months, whatever it takes, uh, because most of them have such profound messages in them. And um, I want to ask you about. Uh, this aspect there's there's a philosophy I have lived by since I got into this business 44 years ago. Uh, and one of them is work with what you have until you get what you want. The other one is. And if I can now uh, recall it into my memory banks, if you please, um, there is always a workaround. Now, that ties into one of our slogans, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. If you don't know that you have choice C, D, E, and F, obviously you can't choose them. 
But once we give you C, D, E, and F, guess what? If A isn't working for whatever reason, and then B didn't quite make it, guess what? You've got C, D, E, and F to work with. And I guess it goes, it's best epitomized by the story of, uh, of uh, uh, the guy who invented the light bulb, Edison. Over 900 ways that the light bulb didn't work, but none of them were failures. They were all learning processes until he got it to illuminate. Right. Talk to us about the process of rewiring the brain through this this aspect of giving children in this case, because that's really where we're focused. And as far as the ADHD, giving children the tools is what I'm going to call them Mm -hmm. so that they can meet the challenges. If you want to use the phrase, solve their problems, whatever they may be on the, on the page or in the textbook or just in their lives so that they can feel a sense of accomplishment, maybe even from time to time success, because isn't it true that the greatest learning is actually in the failures, not in the successes? I'll let you expound. So rewiring the brain is really what we do all day long. We just don't think about it. It's really based in this concept of neuroplasticity, which is how we learn everything we've ever learned. So from literally holding a pencil to driving down the road uh, to having this conversation, everything the brain has learned has learned through repetition. And that's training neuronal pathways. Uh, Sometimes they're trained well and we have good habits and we're moving forward. Uh, I think all of us have perhaps had bad habits at some times that we would like to (laughs) figure out how to get rid of. Mm -hmm. And the way you get rid of a bad habit is by creating the good habit that allows the bad habit to fade away. Uh, So that's really the concept of what I do, which is rewiring, training, retraining the brain and the alternatives to the medication and the behavioral interventions, which is what typically are the traditional ways of dealing with ADHD. That's your A and your B. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we come along with C, D, E, and F, which is there are completely different ways of looking at this that can help uh, children either stay off the medication, maybe reduce or even get off of the medication because we're tackling that part of the brain that isn't strong enough to be able to carry that child through on a particular task. So again, I go back to auditory challenges. If I can't remember what someone just said to me, it's pretty hard for me to follow through. Mm -hmm. If I can't remember what was shown to me, I can't replicate it very easily. And so that in simplistic terms of what we do, we find that. And then through the use of these scientifically designed video games, we create a training program. So the training program is usually 30 minutes, two or three times a week. We'll do 10 hours of that. And then we come back and we reassess to see what the progress is toward the goals. Some children get it done in that time frame. Some need the traditional 20 hours and some need more. But the bottom line is we're always assessing for that. So we are monitoring how that retraining process is going. So this is the alternative story. This is the way to help people get to a different point where we're not just tackling the symptoms. We're not just trying to use a behavioral intervention. So think of this. 
if I have a child who's misbehaving and I'm verbally instructing this child to do something differently, but this child can't remember what's being said to me, how well is that intervention going to land and stick? Probably isn't. So if things that have been tried haven't yielded lasting results, then maybe it's time to do something different. Maybe it's time to kind of peel all that original stuff back how we thought about it, look at it from a different angle, give parents an alternative, give teachers additional information. I ran a pilot project in a school and teaching the teachers about this was an eye-opening experience because they would get frustrated with children, understandably. They have goals they have to hit in their classrooms. And if children are disrupting those goals, everyone's frustrated. But it doesn't mean that child's willfully misbehaving. It may mean that child just simply can't track on what's going on. And so when we ran those assessments and I could say to the teachers, she's misbehaving in the classroom. She's having meltdowns because she cannot track what you are doing on the whiteboard. And she's embarrassed. And she's crying because she sees her peers being able to do something she can't do. The only place this little girl is going to go in her head is that she must not be very smart. And we want to stop that because that is not what's happening. These children don't have an intelligence problem. They have a processing problem that we can tackle and we can resolve this. That's what the solving piece is in the book. It's about getting at it. You have to figure out what's going on first before you can apply the right process and i've always kind of said the wrong diagnosis does not lead to the right intervention yeah you have to understand what's going on and match up the intervention to what the child can process and hang on to and fix the processing if we want to use that word fix we're strengthening it's like a gym for your brain mm-hmm. so we give brain boosts to people and the good news is it tends to hold well that's a good thing that's a good thing it uh, ties into one of the phrases we use on this program that we are looking for those new ways of living because the old ways don't work anymore. All you have to do is look around you and they Mm -hmm. aren't working. And yet there are those who want to continue down this path of the same old, no, we want to go back. As a matter of fact, there are those who would like to go back to the fifties. Well, uh, I I saw this wonderful uh, video the other day that uh, basically said, yeah, I know there are people want to go back to the fifties. Well, It wasn't so great for everybody back in the 50s. Well, let's go back to the 40s. Well, and you go through the same scenario every time you want to go back. We can't go back. We must go forward and we must evolve. Uh, It seems to me like that's a a, a nature's imperative. If we don't evolve, we stagnate. And then, of course, in stagnation, we die. We die as a species. And we're still doing the same old stupid, stupid things as nations and races and tribes that we've been doing for thousands of years. And it, and, and I'll say it, it's got to stop. It has mm-hmm. got to stop. This is not teaching. That's a, one of the things I wanted to ask you about as far as parents teaching their children. I, I think about that in terms of my upbringing and the way my parents taught me, or maybe the way my mother was taught by her parents, my grandparents. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, they taught predominantly through practical measures, whether it was a spanking <laughs> or mom took the daughters into the kitchen and taught them how to cook. Dad took them out to the garage, the boys out to the garage. Again, pardon me for the stereotypes and taught them how to fix a car or mow the lawn or what have you. Now, that's not to say in my family, I know how to wash dishes and I know sort of kind of in a way how to cook. I can follow a recipe. I can follow instructions. Okay. 
but that's not the way we're teaching kids in school. And and yet a lot of children today who are now adults have wonderful manners. They have great behavior uh, because of the way that their parents raised them. I received a compliment years ago from my wife's sister. When I went to open the door, car door for my wife, just as a common courtesy, maybe chivalry, whatever you want to call it. And my uh, my sister-in-law said, your mom raised you right. And I just kind of grinned. And, okay. Um, to me, it's just what you do. And, and you know, I don't know if chivalry's dead or not, but there you go. Uh, it seems to me like we could learn an awful lot from this. St- if you want to go back to the past, let's learn from it. We can't go back there and live uh, mm-hmm. again. And what about... What about ways in which uh, is this problem, the ADHD, was this has this been a problem for the last 40 years outside the United States? You know, I think so. Yes. I don't think it's just unique to us. I've worked with people in other places and you know had the conversations. So auditory and processing does auditory and visual processing problems isn't just something unique to one particular location on the planet. I think maybe it's more talked about in some ways, again, you know, multiple um, reasons to diagnose something with someone with a, you know, a diagnostic label draws attention to it. And I think we have had a lot of attention drawn to ADHD. And in some ways, I think that's okay. It's just that the solutions that are offered haven't really measured up to where we need to end up. And Mm -hmm. I think, yes, this isn't anything unique to us. I think perhaps we write more prescriptions, although I haven't seen any diagnosis or, you know, kind of a, a comparison on that. But we certainly mm-hmm. know we have millions and millions and millions of children on medications. And not all of that is wrong. My take is let's just make sure that the outcome is getting where you want to be. So mm-hmm. if you stop the medication, are you better off? Are you where you need to be? Or is this something for, in this particular case that can be treated in a different manner? And if it can be treated in a different manner that leads to a lasting solution, isn't that really what people are after? Mm. Now, this ties into a question I asked earlier, uh, and I don't know if you'll have the information on this or not, but uh, roughly at what age have you seen the medications terminated? If if they are terminated, I don't know if they are. Well, that's kind of the point I've been driving to is that... Mm. (laughs) <laughs> they aren't necessarily terminated at any ah, particular point wow. um, because when you terminate the medications in a lot of cases, the behaviors haven't been resolved. So how can you get rid of a medication that's treating a behavior if when you remove the medication, the behavior comes back? Now, there was a longstanding belief that people grew out of ADHD when they became adults. That is not the case. That is a myth. Now, it doesn't mean people don't learn how to manage things, learn how to run their life, learn how to do workarounds on limitations. Mm -hmm. We all have limitations. And have we all learned our own workarounds for this? Probably, you know, those who are successful, you've got massive, you know, you have billionaires who are openly uh, talking about their massive limitations that they had in school. Uh, They didn't do well in school, but yet they figured out how to work around that. Uh, and you have day-to-day people, I will say, though, if there are situations where people are not getting better or they're just struggling so much, this is a different way you can look at things and and maybe get some help. 
So some children just stop taking the medications. Maybe they don't even tell their parents they're not taking it. They don't like the side effects. Um, but, you know, and that's not saying all medications are bad. People take meds for different kinds of conditions. Right. It's just, you know, what's the long-term mission and goal? So mm -hmm. if the long-term mission is for this child or adult to do better um, and the medication's doing the job and things are working well, okay, nothing wrong with that. If it isn't quite working or side effects are cropping up or they just simply don't want to take it, then is there something else that can be done? And the answer is yes, there is. There's another, your alternative. Another factor I'd like to touch on before we wrap things up is... Uh, it's sort of a combination uh, environment and diet. Mm -hmm. uh, has there been a correlation? Has there been enough? Has there been any study enough study done uh, to try to determine whether or not those factors um, play into this diagnosis of ADHD and other acronyms? There have been a lot of research studies done around all of this. Um, and, you know, parents are well-informed a lot of cases about what certain dietary um, complications can occur. So I'll just use certain chemicals. Certainly if we're dining on um, foods that have a lot of chemicals in them, we know that isn't very healthy for our body or our brain. So we need to really kind of pay attention to that. Um, again, what I've seen parents have gone down the road of, okay, how much sugar, some children are very susceptible to sugar, even just the smallest amount can kind of send them spinning other children. It doesn't affect. So parents are really kind of picking their way through almost a landmine of trying to figure out, okay, what's affecting my child. And most of them will have looked at some of the factors about diet. We know diet can make a difference in our lives. You know, all of us have struggled with that one time or another. Everyone's a little bit different in what works and what doesn't work. And so figuring that out with your child is important. Some people have a dairy intolerance that really messes them up. And if we don't know that, then, and we're eating a lot of dairy, it clogs the body. It doesn't work well because that person may actually have an allergy to that. We know there's something to this gluten piece, and that's a whole discourse we could get into. And we won't go there as to why that's happened. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, we do know that there's susceptibility to that and environment. So it's really hard to break out the nature nurture discussion around this because parents will come in, we'll do the assessments, I'll go through all of this, and we'll start identifying these areas. And it isn't an uncommon response. A parent will say, Gosh, I feel like you're describing me you know, in this. And so yeah. do I actually have some of this? And it's like, well, it's possible, certainly, you know, and I'll say we do offer a family plan. We can help figure that out. <laughs> uh, so it does, or they'll yeah. say, gosh, this is describing his father or his mother. So again, is that because it's a biology thing? Is it because it's an environment? We've observed these kinds of things. That's really hard to pull apart mm. uh, because it is intertwined. And so well, hence yeah. back to your, your question, which is, yes, it's all intertwined. You have to be paying attention to all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I will say that uh, I am a product, of course, of both my environment as well as my genes, my, uh, uh, what's the other, I can't remember, it's environment or um, 
Oh, it, I don't know what it anyway. Uh, and it's because my parents did the best they could with what they knew at the time. No blame. This is not blaming them. This is acknowledging and, and thanking them for providing me with what they knew at the time. Uh, as far as the, the whole bullying thing, I was shocked when my mother said to me, I was probably in my late teens. And she said, I wish we could have protected you from all of that. And my first thought was, I didn't say it, but I thought, how would you have done that? What followed me around in school and that would have made it better you know, kind of thing. But uh, I'm grateful for the upbringing that I have had, the education that I have had and, uh, and, and, all of the, the the ancillary things in my environment, my sisters and brother and and friends and family uh, relatives and all of that kind of stuff, because they are why I am the way that I am. And the thousands of other people who have been involved to have brought me here to talk with you today, Connie. Uh, Connie McReynolds is my guest. And uh, once again, the title of that book is uh, that we hope that you get a copy of through, uh, I'm sure, uh, ConnieMcReynolds.com, but also sure through Amazon and others. Solving the ADH riddle, the real cause and lasting solutions, plural, to your child's struggle to learn. And um, that's what I believe we're here to do is learn. And I, I have to wonder sometimes, Connie, about, for example, you get out of high school, you've taken all of those pre-college exams and the SATs and the uh, ATZs and whatever the acronyms are, and you get a score. And I think, and that means what? What does that really mean? Uh, some folks have no business going to college because they learn. It's it's basically what you've been saying all along is everybody learns differently. And yes, there are processing issues that need to be addressed if they can't. And the, that one example of the young man who scored the highest math uh, score at this one school. Um, and yet, Prior to that, man, he was probably I've never said this out loud. It was as dumb as a rock, but he wasn't. He wasn't. And I think that's the one of the things that we need to start looking at is finding those things in our children that we can start drawing out what is good about them and what what helps them to process the information that's out here. Uh, to help them to move forward in their lives. Right. Connie, I want to thank you so much for being a part of Tell Me Your Story. And uh, I, I I can't tell you how this, this was just very interesting because it brought back a lot of wonderful memories from school. And uh, some not so wonderful, but they weren't horrible. Um, and um, I thank you for sharing with us this book uh, entitled uh, uh, Solving the ADH or ADHD Riddle. One of these days, I'll get all of those letters in there, or we'll get rid of all of those letters altogether. How about that? That'd be great, I think. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me here. It's been a pleasure. I also have three final questions that I want to ask you. But all before right. I do, before I do. I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and we are also here on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. 
And uh, we a podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. Too numerous to mention here. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And we hope that you will subscribe, but maybe more importantly, that you will uh, at least click notification so that when I post a new conversation, uh, you will be notified and you can listen in. Oh, and by the way, this be an This is a landmark program because as of this program, we hit one hundred thousand listens on SoundCloud and all of the ancillary podcasting sites that we're connected with. I'm excited about the number. Uh, I'm just glad that there have been that many since uh, January one of two thousand eighteen. I thank all of you for listening to, as well as those on YouTube for watching uh, the programs. And I hope that uh, you have learned something and we'll share it uh, with family and friends and whoever you choose to do so through social media, as I do on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. On X. That makes no sense to me, but that's a subject from the program. Uh, we also <laughs> ask that if you can support the work that we're doing financially, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. They'll ask you uh, for an email address to whom to send the support to. And it is Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. And then spend some time going within to that quiet, peaceful, calm, still place called the inner inner sanctum if you will your quiet little uh, place uh, internally and listen to that still small voice and follow the the promptings or listen to the uh, inspiration the guidance uh the 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 advice if you will i i'm always listening and i do my best to to follow the promptings because it's it's honestly when i follow it it's never led me wrong never led me astray so we hope that you will spend some time doing that and uh, we have uh, at the end of some of these programs especially on sundays and monday morning uh little uh, vignettes uh, little meditations and of course uh uh, um, uh, the nowest and his little advice as well. So we hope you will. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. Uh, with all of that being said, and that was an awful lot to have been said, I want to uh, go to my guest to ask the three final questions that we ask all of our guests. And the first of those is, who is Connie McReynolds? <laughs> so I am my mission, which is to bring some hope and guidance to the folks who may be struggling and help really improve their quality of life so they can live their best life. Mm. Uh, that's what my company is about. That's what my work is about. And that's what I am about. And again, that website, which is all about her is Connie Second question is what is your life's purpose? I'm living my life's purpose. This work right now Publishing the book after 15 years, I realized that this message had to get out. I had researched for years before I published my first article um, in an international journal about this work with children, and I had looked for this, and it simply wasn't there. Mm. The story wasn't being told. And until I was able to really resolve being able to deliver this to whomever needs the services, I wasn't really ready to put the book out because I didn't want this to just be another book. Oh, this is what's wrong with your child. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> I, really uh, I, I wanted I'm, this. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. I really wanted this to be about this might be what's happening with your child. And here are some solutions that you can use right now today to be able to support your child, both at home and at school and to help your teacher better understand what might be going on with your child. Next question, final question. 
What was your best day? Mm, my best day? Oh, my goodness. That was really, I think, when this book came out um, last spring. It's been a culmination of 30 years of work and uh, just continuing to drive for it. Um, certainly the day I achieved my PhD in rehabilitation psychology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison is at the very top. My mother was there. My aunt was there. And mm. uh, that was a big day uh, for that, which, of course, led to everything that has followed over the past 25 years. But this, the day that the book really came out, uh, it went to number one in eight categories on Amazon. And uh, that was that was a dream mm. for me. I do have to uh, dovetail off of something you said and now I don't feel so bad. I've been working on my book for 22 years <laughs> and I'm not writing war and peace. It may not even make it to 150 <laughs> pages. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I guess that's the one item that I have procrastinated on the most. And I got to stop doing that, but I thank you so much because we have to stop doing this. I hate to do that, but uh, thank you again <laughs> for joining us here on the program. Well, thank you again, Richard. It's been a pleasure um, meeting with you today and sharing this and, and just hoping that it can make a difference uh, for someone, some of your listeners. I, I'm sure that it will. I am sure that it will. And I thank you again for joining us, for uh, listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to love, Jeanette, I'm still listening. Dad, I'm happy. Because I know you are. My friend Smokey, I will see you on the other side. And to my newly departed friend Zorro, aho, aho.